0: Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. The intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street!
1: 5, 4, 3,
0: 2, 1. From inside the warehouse at Oreo Park at Camden Yards, it is the and All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Brendan, we are a week away from what should be the start of spring training. Not looking like that's going to be possible, but we are proceeding as such. And going to keep going as if uh, spring training... There's still
1: possibility. Sure.
0: Any, hey, it's a possibility. Any, it is a possibility that spring... We will get spring training at some point. I can promise you that.
1: Well... <laughs> Never know when, but we will
0: get <laughs> Don't make it. promises. We, <laughs> we, will, we will get it. And today on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about some prospects that just missed the top 30. Some guys that probably aren't discussed as much as they should be, but guys that should be on your radar as an Orioles fan nonetheless. But Brendan, we got to start with Have your to. review of Much Ado About Nothing at Spotlighter's Theater, where you saw your boy as Count Claudio. right. And I, I got to know what's your, what's your review? We've already gotten two reviews. both of them were pretty positive. Yeah. You are qualified for this as, you know, am having, I sure, as having seen years and years of theater, you have yeah. your
1: own theater blog? <laughs> I under absolutely a, do under not. a pen name. It's under an alias. Stop it telling is. people about this. <laughs> this is my own secret space. Yeah. That nobody needs to know about No, the show was great. I thought everybody but Claudio did a fantastic job. Wow. Um I did not bring enough tomatoes for the guy who played Claudio. Uh just would have gotten my practice in there, just absolutely hurling him. No, it was great. My my previous Shakespeare viewing experience included watching high school students, where about two of them knew what was going on, and then the rest of them were about as confused as the audience was. Yeah. So this, in general, was a much more enjoyable experience. Were you able to follow along, even though it was in Shakespearean language? I mean, I was, but I am I had also seen the show before, I had seen the movie before, so I I knew generally what was going on Mm -hmm. in the show already, so... I was at at oftentimes, you know, leaning over and, and explaining co-host of the Nationals podcast, Amy Jennings, what the heck was going on. Yeah. So, uh,
0: well, you did have a, a little synopsis in this in the program as well. Yes, which probably helped. Which is always helpful. I, it was always uh, I could tell the audience would lose us at times when I could see people look pulling out their <laughs>
1: their programs <laughs> well, and hold like on, hold on. And maybe they, their then? phone
0: light and trying to scan. But it also meant that they were trying to understand. At least they weren't right. falling asleep. Yeah, uh, in the
1: audience as well. So I appreciated that. Right, and, and a bold strategy. You would never see a movie theater do that. They would never hand out a program, and be like, "This is what's happening in the movie." Yeah, and just I scroll did, to the end.
0: I did see this in theaters. There was like a, a movie version of this years ago that came yes. out, directed by Joss Whedon, I believe. And Denzel was in it. No, that was that was the '90s one. Nah. That was with. Uh, Oh, a newer, newer one. Newer, newer about. one. Okay. This came out like 10 years ago. And uh, that one I was totally lost because I did not have a synopsis anywhere. And they were trying to do new stuff with it. So I think hopefully this time we were fairly clear. I, just, I think it was. I just can't wait for the sequel. Even more about even less. Wow. Well, <laughs> I bet you thought about that even one a more while ado ago. about, oh, I've been thinking about this yeah. for a long time. Also, much ado about nothing to Hero's Revenge. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> the yeah. sequel is actually right all all sequels should be named the squeakle they should as we know all right uh well thank you for that um i'll, I'll pass that along to my castmates yes i'm sure that they would appreciate the kind words that yeah. you've said here today um all right shall we jump into our prospects who just missed the cut no i think we should keep talking about shakespeare all right well let's go back to it <laughs> twelfth night your favorite uh all right so essentially We are going to be talking about guys who are not in MLB Pipeline's top 30 prospect list. Now, keep in mind, we are not trained scouts. We are not in charge of the MLB Pipeline's top 30. We did not come up with the list. We are just going to be going off of what we've heard and the stats that we've gathered about these prospects. So this is just our own estimation. If we had to guess, if they were to extend, expand the MLB Pipeline's list to a top 40 These are the 10 guys that we think would be on it. Not based on our own charting and scouting at games, but based on what we've heard and what scouts have said about these guys.
1: Right, and the top 30, I don't know when the last time it was updated. It is not including the international signings that the Orioles just made. So we are assuming that guys like Braylon Tavera and Cesar Prieto will be on that top 30 list at some point, and they are not right now. And I think the rankings are also going to be A little bit different once the season actually starts. There are some guys on this list that I think are very underrated in terms of where they are. Like Kobe Mayo is 17th on the current top 30. I think that will go up by the time the minor league season starts. So this top 30 is subject to change. But as of right now, these are just the guys that we think probably just missed the cut. I think it has
0: not been updated yet for the preseason. So essentially, I think they do the preseason one. Then they do another one after the draft and after the trade deadline when prospects have changed teams. So this one, this prospect ranking, I can't imagine it's going to get too much of a shakeup. But I could see guys like Kobe Mayo getting a jump. I could see other guys falling from this list that maybe we weren't quite expecting. So certainly there will have there will be some changes. We do want to real quick because I'm sure we're going to get a lot of comments as we go. Uh, questioning why isn't Adam Hall in your list? Why isn't Samuel Basayo in your list? It's not include. We're not going to be talking about anybody in the top 30. So, of course, that includes the top guys like the Adleys and the Graysons and the Westbergs and all that. But the bottom 10, we're not going to be talking about Joey Ortiz, Reed Trimble, Zach Lowther, Darrell Hernandez, Samuel Basayo, Drew Rahm, Anthony Servidio, Carter Baumler, Luis Gonzalez, Tyler Nevin, and John Rhodes. Right, so those guys are at the bottom of the the top the top ten, top thirty. They might get bumped. A couple of those guys might get bumped off the top thirty once Cesar Prieto and Braylon Tavera join the top thirty. But those guys all still have their prospect status and are in the top thirty.
1: Yeah, it's it's actually kind of funny that we mention that because we don't really talk about some of the prospects in like the fifteen to thirty range. We also don't talk all about that Bruno. much. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's kind of funny that we're doing an outside the top thirty when We're also not talking about the 15 to 30 ranked guys too much. But, you know, maybe we'll talk about them sometime, too. We talk Just about them. Just not right now. We talk about them plenty. I think M- we More often them. than we do yes. the guys we're about to talk about. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, all right.
0: So, these guys are guys that you should keep on your radar, but also keep your expectations in check because they are not highly rated. But they are guys that I think could jump into the top 30 at some point soon. And let's start with a guy who was recently drafted as part of the Colton Cowser 2021 draft class. Orioles like to take their college outfielders, and they took one in the fourth round by the name of Dante Williams.
1: Yeah, Dante Williams, I think, should be in the top 30. I really like Dante Williams. He had a pretty unbelievable senior year at Arizona. He hit 342 with an OPS over one, eight home runs, 17 doubles in 62 games. And he looked good at Del Marva. He only hit 286, and the power numbers are not really there. He did not hit a home run in 21 games. So the upside for Dante Williams from a power hitting outfield perspective is not there. But his on base percentage was 434 in 21 games at Del Marva. that is an unbelievably advanced plate approach for a guy who's just 22 years old so I think the plate approach alone will probably get him into the top 30 somewhere because it feels like at a minimum he's probably going to hit 275 with a really good on base percentage as he moves throughout the minor leagues like a lot of the guys who were taken in that 2021 draft class
0: High floor prospect. Yes. And you do wonder about his ceiling because he was drafted as a senior as well. So he's 22 years old, a slightly older than some of the guys that he started the Del Marva season with this past year. Um, and he's a smaller guy. I mean, he's only 5'10. So you wonder, you know, Cedric Mullins at six foot or six foot one just hit 30 homers, but those guys are a rarity. And the fact that he did not have a homer, as you mentioned, could, you know, say, a sign of lack of power to come however the bat to ball skills are very good uh, and he still had an 802 OPS with five stolen bases so there is I think a possibility that he could develop into an high on base and speedy base stealing outfielder
1: yeah he had 20 walks and 16 strikeouts in those 21 games he had at Delmarva and I think even if you could get 10 to 15 home runs a season out of Dante Williams. If that power can progress just a little bit, the plate approach is already so good that, like you said, the floor is very high. And I think we would just like to see that ceiling increase a little bit if he can progress his power more. The other question is because
0: the Orioles took so many outfielders and Colton Cowser, they drafted as a center fielder. They put him in center for the bulk of the games in Del Marva. But Dante Williams can play center field. He played only five games in center, um, or fewer than that, I believe, in center in Del, Mar- Del Marva. played the bulk of his games in left field. But I think the possibility is there. The Orioles just wanted to give Colton Cowser, because he is the most important prospect in that draft class, as many games in center field as possible. So maybe if guys develop at different rates and they spread themselves out amongst the Orioles' farm system, he will get an opportunity, Dante Williams will, to play center field because I think that Along with some other guys in this draft class, like a Reed Trimble, I think he has the ability to play center, which makes him more valuable if you have the speed and the coverage to play center field as opposed to a corner
1: outfield. Right. Like you said, Colton Kowser is the priority in terms of development, and you are going to give Kowser the reps that he needs at the important defensive positions. But it's also nice that Williams, as a high floor hitter, is probably also a high floor defender with the capability of playing a bunch of different outfield spots. So I think that range in the outfield is probably going to help him as well if the ceiling at the plate power-wise is not as high. Next up is a guy who also can play center field, but got a lot of games
0: in center field at the upper levels of the minor leagues. Zach Watson, 24 years old. He was drafted in the third round of the 2019 MLB draft out of LSU. Hit 248 with 21 homers and 24 stolen bases this past year. He was the only Orioles minor leaguer with a 2020 season. You look at the 21 homers and you say he should have an OPS a little bit higher than 762 in his 105 games between Aberdeen and Bowie. And part of that is because he did not walk as much as his counterparts. It has been an emphasis of Orioles minor leaguers to look at plate discipline, to look at strike zone discipline, and to judge yourself based off your swing decisions more than outcome at the plate. Zach Watson is lagging a little bit behind in that way. However, it is rare that you have a guy who can steal 24 bases and hit 21 homers in a full season in just a little over 100 games in a minor
1: league season. Yeah, the antithesis to Dante Williams in terms of on-base percentage at A, Zach Watson got on base at just a 284 clip because he was striking out a ton. He had 57 strikeouts to just eight walks in double A. So the power is there. The speed is there. The plate discipline is really not. And I think if that gets better, the ceiling is pretty high with Zach Watson, because like you said, the power numbers have been able to show up. And obviously he is a fantastic base stealing threat. And that speed makes him a good defensive outfielder. But the plate discipline has been lacking so heavily that it's hard to look at that offensive upside and think that it's going to have any kind of consistency going forward. Yeah, that is that is going to be
0: a main point in his development, and I'm sure that the Orioles are trying to instill that in him. It's going to be difficult to determine where he's going to start the 2022 season because he was, he was good in Bowie. But if they're not comfortable with that plate discipline, they might start him out back in Bowie to start 2022. We saw Ryan Mountcastle's plate discipline became an issue, and that's part of the reason he wasn't called up from Norfolk earlier than he was. They had him marinate for a full season the year he won International League MVP in 2019 because they weren't comfortable with him and his walk rate. So I wonder if Zach Watson will get the opportunity to start in Norfolk to start the season. But otherwise, I think the Orioles would be okay, especially with the depth that they'll have in Norfolk in the outfield
1: with starting Watson and Bowie. Right, and you mentioned the stolen bases. He had 18 in 56 games at Aberdeen, but only eight in 49 games in Bowie because as the pitching got better, he was not getting on base as much. He was not drawing any walks. And if you're going to be a base stealer, your on-base percentage needs to be better than 284 Yeah. because you can't, steal bases if you're not on base so zach watson really needs to improve the walks and i think if he does if he's able to get that on base percentage somewhere in the 300 range even his ceiling is a lot higher than it is right now all right let's switch from the outfield to the infield
0: and let's switch from guys that were drafted by the orioles to guys that the orioles acquired via trade greg cullen is an interesting case he's 25 years old he was acquired in the middle of the 2020 season from Atlanta, along with AJ Graffinino, as part of the Tommy Malone trade. Another smallish guy. He's only 5'10, 190, and he suffered injuries this past year. He only got 38 games in 2021, split between Florida Complex L- League as he was rehabbing to, Delmarva, to Del Marva, to Bowie. Uh, he hit 259 with three homers and an 8'27 OPS, but sample size is a big caveat there because only 38 games under his belt.
1: Yeah, and Greg Cullen really picked up a lot of steam after the good fall league showing. In 15 games, he hit 279, 400 on base percentage, OPS of 935 with three home runs, struck out just 10 times, and walked nine. So the fall league is really encouraging for Cullen, who nobody really talked about before the fall league, I don't think because the Orioles have a lot of good depth at second base in terms of their prospects when you look at Taron Vavra and Jemai Jones. So Greg Cullen didn't really get brought up. But because of that fall league showing, if he can produce those same kind of offensive numbers consistently, he might work his way into the top 30.
0: He also is a little bit older than some of the guys that are around him. I think he's a year older than Taron Vavra. um, And Vavra had the higher, you know, and even AJ Graffinino, who with whom he was traded, I believe Graffinino was ranked in the top 30 when he first US. came over via trade, whereas Colin just missed the top 30. Graffinino had a poor 2021 season. He has since fallen out of the top 30. Colin had the injuries, as mentioned, but the production was there when he was on the field. So you wonder about the ceiling of a guy, again, that's like 5'10 and can't really play shortstop, but he could be a higher floor type prospect that I could see being in Norfolk early in 2022. Maybe not starting the season, but it's clear that the Orioles wanted to give this guy more at-bats by sending him to the Arizona Fall League and and try to catch him up on the time he missed.
1: Yeah, and similar to Dante Williams, his floor is pretty high because of the advanced plate approach. In in 24 games at AA this year, he hit just 219, but he had a 398 on-base percentage. That is going to help you move up pretty quickly, especially as you mentioned, in an Orioles minor league system where the emphasis is put so heavily on swing decisions. Yeah. The guys who have a great plate discipline are probably going to move up quicker. Yeah, exactly. So another guy that the Orioles got via trade, this is our
0: first pitcher on the list here, Brendan. 21-year-old Gene Pinto. Another guy who got a lot of late in it, late inning, late season buzz, right around August, July, he was starting to pick up some steam, at least from Orioles fans who were now had eyes on this guy, a guy whose name we had just heard as being mentioned as part of the trade that sent Jose Iglesias to the Angels. He was originally signed by the Angels as an international free agent out of Venezuela in May 2019. So you think about May is not usually a time when you sign international free agents. So he was signed late for his class, because J2 is when the new international signing period starts. So he wasn't highly touted. He wasn't one of these first-day signing guys as a 16-, 17-year-old. He was signed late as a little bit older of a guy at just 19 years old. Came over via trade, and he looked pretty good in the small sample size that we got him
1: over stateside, Brendan. Yeah, everybody has been, I think, freaking out is the right word about Gene Pinto. He has flown up people's you know their own prospect rankings when you're looking at the Orioles system because he is 21 years old and incredibly projectable he has a fastball that can reach up to 97 his changeup sits around 88 with good movement the stuff is very good and his command is also fantastic at Delmarva he had 10.8 strikeouts per nine innings and just two and a half walks per nine and that was his age 20 season yeah so if your stuff is already that good and you can command it that well at 20 years old that's a very exciting young prospect i don't know what the ceiling is for gene pinto but because he's just 21 years old people are thinking it's pretty high because if the progression is as good as it has been so far in his very young career with a small sample size, like you mentioned, then yeah, his ceiling might be pretty huge, but it's a long way down the line.
0: It is. 230 ERA though, over 11 Ks per nine and a whip under 0.9 is pretty darn good. Oh yes. Uh, So I would be interested to see more from him. I think, you know, I'm a little worried about the hype train getting out of control here. Yeah. Because he is not in the Orioles top 30 for a reason. I mean, he, you know, was signed late as an amateur free agent was not the biggest piece in that Jose Iglesias trade as well. Um, he was just one of three guys, I believe, that came back in that trade. So keep your expectations in check, I would say, for Orioles fans. However, I'm curious to see what he does in 2022. Another pitcher that the Orioles got, this time they drafted him 23 year old Carlos Tavera, a guy that we talked to when we went down to Del Marva. Really interesting guy and very bright young man. Uh, he was drafted in the fifth round this past uh, July by the Orioles at a university of Texas at Arlington did not pitch much for Delmarva in 2021. They didn't g- let him go very long into games. And I wonder if that was partly be- a workload thing, uh, just three earned runs and 13 strikeouts in 12 innings in three starts in Delmarva. So really was not uh, given a long leash. So I'm curious to see how long a leash he gets going into 2022 but it is he is a little bit older 23 years old for a pitcher that was drafted in the fifth round um he was the first pitcher off the board by the orioles again they waited until the fifth round and then they didn't take one for another five rounds after him so there is a little bit of increased pressure on him uh, but he is a an intriguing prospect nonetheless
1: yeah it's it's hard to look at any of the numbers that he put up this season because they're so inflated due to the lack of work that he got. Like you can look at his walk numbers because right now for his 2021 stats, his walk numbers were at nine walks per nine, which is obviously ridiculously high, but he just didn't pitch enough innings to get that number down. Right. So in 12 innings of work, Yeah, the walk number is concerning, but I would certainly give him more than 12 innings of work before we get concerned with Carlos Tavera. But like you said, was very bright when we talked to him, seemed very excited about the Orioles' increased emphasis in using analytics to help pitchers. So Tavera, I think, is a really intriguing prospect because he was a successful college pitcher. And the Orioles, we know he liked their college bats, but the college pitchers are able to translate as well just because they have so much experience and usually have some better command and a better arsenal
0: and when you look at a guy that's drafted in the fifth round you're not going to see odds are you're not going to see triple digits on their fastball if you do you're going to see about 24 walks per nine he had 90 He hits 96 on his fastball settles around 92 to 94 which is you know understandable for a guy who's taken in the fifth round again you're not going to get a very high ceiling guy Uh, But according to the supervisor of domestic scouting operations, Brad Selick, who heads up the draft operations for the Orioles, uh, he has a feel for a slider and a plus changeup. So as you mentioned, Brendan, he is interested. When they were talking about going to the Wake Forest pitching lab, he seemed very intrigued about learning how to maximize his potential. So may not have the highest ceiling on paper, but if he's able to get the best out of his stuff, then he could work his way up pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, I think... When you have a good college pitcher on the roster, it's just an exciting young prospect. And I think we will see a lot more from Tavares. It's hard to judge him right now with the workload. So I'm looking forward to next season when we see more of him and can probably get a much better read of what his potential might be. Somebody who put up pretty darn good numbers in
0: a fairly large sample size. First baseman, J.D. Mundy. There was a lot of hype about him early in the season. Because he was signed as an undrafted free agent after the 2020 draft. Remember, it was only five rounds, so a lot of market for undrafted free agents who wanted to leave college, but the draft wasn't long enough for them to be taken. So maybe he would have been taken in the shortened 2020 draft had it been ten rounds, fifteen rounds. Twenty-three years old now. Uh, he bats lefty. He played at Radford and then uh, Radford, and before that, Virginia Tech. Hit 291 with 15 homers in 72 games this year between Delmarva and Aberdeen with a 925 OPS. Now, he is a first baseman, and he has been listed as an outfielder, as a corner outfielder at times, but uh, he is pretty much a first baseman. He, I don't think he played any games uh, it, at first base in the or any games in the outfield excuse me in 2021 all of his games in the field came at first and he dh some so the ceiling obviously is for him to be a first baseman dh type but he put up the numbers that kind of back that
1: kind of you know prototype yeah because when you are a first base dh hybrid you don't offer a lot of value defensively obviously so the offensive numbers need to be fantastic yeah because if you are going to be in a major league lineup somewhere as a first baseman or a DH, your power numbers need to be really good and the average needs to be sustainable. JD Mundy had a very good average. I mean, he was destroying Del Marva for 20 games, hit 324 there, and he still mashed at Aberdeen. He hit 278 with 11 home runs in 52 games and an 881 OPS there. So hopefully, I think the power numbers need to improve a little bit. The average is good. Hopefully there will be more home runs down the line because like I said, as a first baseman, the power numbers need to be really eye-popping for you to move throughout the system and get up to higher levels. But I think J.D. Mundy, the average being high already is encouraging because it's not a pure power hitter that you need to teach how to hit for average a little bit better. It is a good average hitter already who you can hopefully get more power out of as he progresses. Yeah.
0: Well, if JD Mundy only has a couple very good tools, Johnny Reiser has several tools, but none of them stand out as exceptional. However, he does have a a lot of tools at his disposal. Reiser uh, was a seventh round pick in the 2019 MLB draft out of TCU. Another guy who bats lefty. He's now 25 years old. Hit 253 with 14 homers and a 735 OPS in 98 games between Aberdeen and Bowie in 2021. Uh, the concern, similar to Zach Watson, with whom he was drafted and with whom he played a lot of games in 2021, is the plate discipline because he only walked 26 times on the season. For a guy that he is less of a center fielder than Zach Watson, he's slightly more of a corner outfielder. He played 46 games in center field, uh, 17 in right, but Zach Watson appears to have a slight edge defensively over uh, Johnny Reiser. He needs to walk a little bit more than he has been, especially when the power isn't exceptional, the bat-to-ball skills aren't exceptional. He does a lot of things well, but he needs to, I feel like, if in order for him to make the jump, he's got to make one of his skills exceptional, which is what we saw from Kyle Stowers, who did a lot of things well, was fast, was good defensively in center field, but he made power
1: his tool, and he made it exceptional. If Riser can do that with one of his tools, that'll help. Right, and Riser is kind of going to need to do it pretty quickly because he's 25 years old, and he just spent a majority of his season at AA. So if there is a time for one of those tools to start standing out for Johnny Riser. It's got to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah. He is good at a lot of things. He is not really great at anything. And like you said, the strikeout numbers need to improve. And I think if he profiles as a corner outfielder, because he doesn't have the speed of a Zach Watson or a lot of the other center fielders in the Orioles system at this point, if you are profiling as a corner outfielder, the power numbers need to be pretty good. Yeah. Because when you were looking at a major league lineup, that is where teams tend to put their power hitters in right field and left field because the defensive positions aren't as strenuous and you can not hide, but you can put your better hitters there. And if they're lacking a little bit defensively, well, at least they're in a corner outfield. Right. So if Johnny Riser is going to be taking up one of those spots, the power numbers need to get better
0: absolutely and again he we do think he has the ability to play center but there are guys ahead of him right now Colton Kowser, as we know is a center fielder and he's going to be going up pretty quickly through the Orioles farm system Cedric Mullins already has a lockdown on center right now Austin Hayes can play center it's a deep position right now for the Orioles so if you can't stand out in center
1: for the Orioles right now then you better stand out in a corner outfield spot. Right, and that's not even talking about Kyle Stowers, who can play center, Taron Vavra, who can play center. Sure. There are a lot of prospects. Even Zach Watson. Yeah. He would have to jump. So there are a lot of prospects that Johnny Reiser would have to kind of all of a sudden get a lot better than in order to move his way up through the Orioles system.
0: Another 2019 draftee, Andrew Dashball, Another very bright guy who... We don't know how high the ceiling is, but he is clearly committed to working on his craft and becoming a better player. He's twenty one years, twenty four years old. Excuse me, uh, first baseman. He was one of three guys who were drafted out of Stanford by the Orioles in that twenty nineteen draft class, along with Kyle Stowers and along with Maverick Handley. Uh, hit two fifty three with sixteen homers and an eight oh six OPS in one hundred five games between Aberdeen and Bowie. And before the season, his numbers in twenty nineteen were not great by any stretch when he got that half season uh, in Aberdeen when it was low A short season Aberdeen. Now it is, you know, high A Aberdeen. And I was a little bit concerned about his ability to make it in professional baseball just because if you're, like we talked about, if you're not going to have eye-popping numbers offensively, you better be able to play a position other than first base. Andrew Dashball is a first baseman. So the fact that he was able to take a jump offensively uh, did wonders, I think, for his prospect status this past year.
1: He did take a jump offensively, but I think when you look at his double-A numbers, they are still not where you need them to be as a first baseman. An 817 OPS in 75 games at Bowie is not bad. A 216 batting average is not. I mean, it, it, it,
0: that's it, not good. <laughs> it was also his first exposure to double-A. Right, right. And I don't think, I mean, how many games did he get in double-A? 75 okay so that's a that's a hefty sample size right. however what we saw from him i mean uh, in him in 2019 he did not hit the ground running his first year in pro ball in low a aberdeen as i mentioned and then he made the adjustments. so maybe there are adjustments for him to make and i'll be curious to see because i i assume that they would send him right back to Bowie to start 2022 that he would not
1: earn a promotion to norfolk based off those numbers right and like i said with jd mundy if you're going to be a first baseman, the offensive numbers need to be eye-popping. So yeah. we have seen improvement from Andrew Dashball, and hopefully that will continue as he moves his way throughout the minor leagues. But the 216 average needs to improve. I think the power numbers need to improve. So hopefully we will see that continued progression for Andrew Dashball. We may get a slight logjam in uh, Bowie this year. That'd be a nice To problem. start
0: the year, yeah. yeah, at first base if J.D. Mundy, who hit very well in high a gets the call up to double a buoy to start the 2022 season. Cause then you have two guys who are pretty much first baseman. I mean, Monday was only used at first base Dashball only played a handful of games in the corner outfield. So he's, he's pretty much a first baseman D H. We may get a first baseman DH rotation of JD Mundy and Andrew Dashball with the Baysox this year.
1: Yeah. Uh, I also just want to give a shout out to Zach on YouTube, who wins the award for our first commenter to name somebody who is very much in the top 30 as to why we are not talking about them, and that is Joey Ortiz. He is ranked 20th on the Orioles' top 30. I will
0: say Joey Ortiz only joined the top 30 within the past year. He did. So, So Zach gets some leeway there. Yeah. Fourth round pick who missed a lot of the season with injury. Unfortunately, he had a very promising start to the 2021 season uh, and then went down with injury once he got to Bowie. Unfortunately, he had only a couple weeks in Bowie. So I think he's going to go back to Bowie to start the 2022 season. But again, in the top 30. Yes. Um, All right. Let's close this out with a couple pitchers here. Start with Garrett Stallings, who was drafted originally in the 2019 MLB draft uh, by the LA angels out of the university of Tennessee. They did not give him any games in professional ball after he was drafted because they were concerned about workload. And then he was traded to the Orioles as part of the Dylan Bundy trade that off four, six, seven ERA in 106 innings between Aberdeen and Bowie in 2021. 24 years old, there is, a again, ceiling probably not ridiculously high with this guy, but another intriguing
1: name in terms of pitching prospects in the Orioles system. Yeah, he was just a solid college pitcher. Yeah, and the Orioles seem to have a lot of them. They drafted one, like we talked about before, in Carlos Tavera. Garrett Stallings, the stuff isn't amazing, but the floor seems to be relatively high, even though... You know, he doesn't have an overwhelming fastball. He doesn't have the overwhelming things that you usually look at for pitching prospects where you might say, oh, if all of these things work out, he might be a top end of the rotation guy. Garrett Stallings more than likely is not going to be a top end of the rotation type of pitcher but his floor is pretty high and it makes you think he will probably work his way up to the higher levels of the minor leagues and might find his way into an Orioles bullpen somewhere down the line.
0: Yeah. Just eight strikeouts per nine in those 23 games, 19 starts and a 1.236 whip. So not outstanding, but that command is going to be what's going to have to put him over the top because he throws a fastball, which is not overpowering sits around 90 miles an hour. He's got a slider curve and a changeup and both a sinker and a four-seamer in terms of a fastball. So he's got different pitches that he can use. He's going to have to rely on those because he doesn't have overwhelming stuff. And then the second guy, (laughs) in terms of pitchers, total opposite case. Yep, No command whatsoever, but boy does he have the stuff, and that's Felix Bautista, who was recently added to the Orioles' 40-man roster as somewhat of a slight surprise, but somebody that we said right before they added him to keep your eye on because the upside is there it's just can he get those walks and can he get that command under
1: control yeah some of the numbers are ridiculous Uh, he worked between three different levels of the orioles minor league system this year had a 154 era and 15 strikeouts per nine. that's insane and then you look at the walk numbers Uh, well you look at those numbers first and you go why is this guy not closing every single game in the majors and then you see that he has almost six walks per nine and you're like oh okay he's also huge he's like six six i believe very intimidating yes so felix bautista if he can get the command well if he can get better command of his command he could be great at the major leagues and I think the Orioles are hoping that they are able to work with him enough or that command will get under control a little bit more because the stuff is nasty
0: yeah I mean he ranked among among the Orioles farm pitchers who threw 40 or more innings he ranked first in ERA and strikeout rate think about a lot of the good performances that we saw this past year including Grayson Rodriguez and Felix Bautista ranked first among ERA uh, in ERA and strikeout rate in 46 and two-thirds innings. And they moved him up very quickly through the system. He got all the way to Norfolk. There is a possibility that he breaks camp. You, I believe, predicted on one of our previous podcasts that he would break camp with the Orioles. I Ors. did. I mean, he's 26 years old, so you might as well see what you have in him. Right. And considering he's taking up a 40-man roster spot, you might as well see what you have in him. I think that he could get called up very early if he
1: does not break camp. Yeah, and you're not worried about Service time with a reliever, especially one who's yeah. 26 years old, so there's no need to hold him out for halfway through the season and then call him up. Then, I think if Felix Batista comes to camp and proves that he is one of the better relievers in the Orioles system, because at this point he really might, because yeah. the relief the relief pitching has a lot of holes still at this point for the Orioles because free agency has yet to resume and all of those different things. But I think there's a pretty good chance that Bautista proves that he is one of the better arms in the Orioles' bullpen, Major League, Minor League, or otherwise. Yeah, and I think,
0: as we saw last year, the Orioles will always have a hole in the bullpen. They will always be cycling through guys because that is uh, uh, the last couple spots in that bullpen. We saw it with the rotation this past year. Hopefully, the rotation will be a little bit more solidified. But with the last couple spots in that bullpen... It's going to be a, a circle of guys just constantly going around between minor leaguers, between waiver claims, and the Orioles were hoping that somebody could grab a hold of that you know the, one of those spots. They were hoping maybe an Isaac Matson could grab a hold of one of those spots, and they didn't. So the hope there is that Felix Bautista takes advantage of that opportunity.
1: Yeah, Isaac Matson, funny you should mention him Rockabacco posted a fantastic article. That's about why he was Madsen on my mind on, yeah. on Masonsports.com this morning. really mm-hmm. weird. Appeared in four games, and they were all a different month of the season. Yeah, very sporadic usage for Isaac Matson.
0: The hope, I think, is that he he also had a difficult year personally. Um, I know that he lost a family member as well, so he he was going through some stuff uh, off the field. He had some injuries, I believe. He struggled in Norfolk. Maybe 2022 brings a fresh start for Isaac Matson because he was another piece along with Garrett Stallings in that Dylan Bundy trade where he came over from LA. So, he was the closest to the big leagues when he was part of that trade. They got four pitchers back and Matson was the oldest of all those guys. So, maybe he is he is pretty much relegated to a reliever. He's not going to be a starter, but I would like to see more
1: Isaac Matson personally yeah. in 2022. And relievers get no love um the top 30 just because the yeah. ceiling is not that high. It is not as high as a starting pitcher. Relievers are not seen as valuable as as valuable as a starting pitcher but right. i think felix batista if he had a starter's capability he would be in the top 30 because the stuff is ridiculous yes but just because he's a reliever he gets left out exactly but i'm sure there are guys that we left out as
0: well guys that probably are flying under the radar that we should be talking about please let us know i'm surprised we did not get any comments about toby welk the people complaints. the people love Toby Welk. The people love Toby Welk and I wanted to include Toby Welk on this list as well. He was part of the 2019 draft class, but I looked at his numbers and I looked at Andrew Dashball's numbers and Dashball's numbers were a little bit better. And I know Welk plays third uh, whereas Dashball plays first, so a more important defensive position for Welk, but from what I've heard he's not outstanding defensively at third. So I had to give Dashball the edge here. However, Welk, you should definitely keep your eye on. I'm sure he will start back in Bowie, along with a lot of these guys. And he is a little bit older. I believe he's a year older than Andrew Dashball. So maybe he gets called up to Norfolk at some point soon.
1: Yeah, Toby Welk, the People's Champion. Another name we didn't mention, Caden Grenier, was tossed around when we talked about guys that the Orioles potentially might keep Mm -hmm. uh, and protect from the Rule 5 draft. Caden Grenier does not have a very high ceiling, and that's why we didn't talk about him here, but he is still very good defensively. One of the better defensive shortstops in the Orioles minor league season, but because the bat is not there, eh, the ceiling is not really there for Caden Grenier. So that's why we didn't mention him.
0: Ryan Miller saying Toby Welk is fantastic.
1: See, getting another people's champ. And of course, another people's champion. Patrick Dorian. Patrick Dorian. <laughs> a
0: comment from Vivek about uh, Patrick Dorian. We talked about Patrick Dorian a little bit last week, about why he wasn't put on the 40-man roster. Um, but again, he, he was in this discussion. We narrowed it down to 10. If this discussion had been 12 or 13, Patrick Dorian would have been on that list. Maybe even 11,
1: it would have been Patrick Dorian. Yeah.
0: Um, hides in long grass says, Love Toby, but he didn't look that good this year. Exactly. Uh, He looked good in Aberdeen and then got called up to Bowie where he struggled, I believe. Right. Um,
1: And this is all... uh, It is a good thing that we are talking about 10 prospects outside of the top 30 and people are still mentioning prospects that they think are good enough to be in the top 40. That really speaks to the depth that has gotten a heck of a
0: lot better under Mike Elias. Three, four years ago, that was not the case. That was not the case. You could not name guys that you thought had any possibility to be big leaguers whereas we mentioned a few guys there's a chance one or two of these guys makes the big leagues yeah at some point over the whereas you talk about 31 to 40 in 2018 or 2017 none of those guys would make the
1: the big leagues yeah like Like Dante Williams Gene Pinto I think those are two names in particular those could be major league caliber players yes exactly although I will say some of those guys outside
0: the top 30 like a uh, Trey Mancini or John Means, who you know flirted with the top 30 but never dated the top 30, would be, you know, the most productive players of that era of minor league baseball yeah. for the Orioles. But please let us know if there are any others that uh, we are forgetting. Please like on YouTube. That's a big part of the formula, as discussed. Always discussed. Analytics. Analytics. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, Sabermetrics. Yeah, I'm if Sir sure Sigma doubt, would have so much to say, <laughs> we should hire him on the side to be in charge of our YouTube analytics here. Yes. You think we can afford him? No, I don't think so. No. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we can do that. Uh, we'll, we'll shoot him an email. (laughs) Please do this pro bono work for us. Uh, just for fun. Yes. For fun. I'm sure he loves doing that too. Oh yeah. Um, at Brendan Morty is Brendan's Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Please share this with all your friends, family, enemies, anybody, random people that you see on the street, grab them, shake them, and yell about the Mass and All
1: Access podcast. Especially your enemies. I mean, if you have an enemy who does not care about the Orioles, what better podcast to show them than, yeah. hey, here are some prospects outside of the top 30 <laughs> yeah. in the Orioles system. It's Enjoy. Qu-
0: and, and say something like, oh, there's got to wait for the whole episode. There's something at the end, and there's nothing at there's the end. There's nothing <laughs> <that>. <laughs> Something at the end that you personally would love. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Bobby Blanco for producing this as well, and we will be back next week. What we will be talking about, I couldn't tell you. But please send along your your topic suggestions. We'll be here. If there's no baseball, we will need some more topic suggestions as well. Back to Shakespeare we go. Back to
1: Shakespeare. We're going to do a different Shakespeare play review every week. Oh, we'll be performing them, actually. Oh. We will have the costumes, we will have the set. Okay. Next week on the podcast. Tune in. All right. Can't wait. (laughs) See you next week. (laughs)